You know he's living. 
take our Bibles today. Turn over the book of Luke, chapter 2. Luke, chapter 2. We've been in our series, Chapters in the Book of Christmas. And uh, the first week we discussed and dealt with the unexpected guest. The unexpected guest. And then last week, in my absence, we dealt with the chapter, No Room. No Room. And uh, honestly, I did not expect uh, Brother Cavanaugh to necessarily continue with the series, but when he did, I thought, great, I don't have to go back and try to squeeze it all in, praise the Lord. Not that I gave him any notes, by the way, because I wrote this one and finished it up, well, this morning. But anyway, I, I've been working on it, don't misunderstand me, I, I've been working on it. I, just, it, I just didn't really finish it till this morning, so I guarantee you while I was away, I was not feeding him notes, so I, I'll guarantee I wasn't thinking about that at all. And so, uh, anyway, I appreciated that. No room. And now this week, I want to discuss the chapter or uh, chapter title I've called First Responders. First Responders. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 6. We're going to read through verse 20 today. The Bible says, And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. There were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them and the glory of the Lord shone round about them and they were sore afraid. The angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, laying, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. It came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which is come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. Uh, this particular situation is not uncommon and it's not one that we've never heard before probably. We've all been introduced to these shepherds at some point in our life probably. We've heard the Christmas story shared how Jesus Christ came uh, with his parents to this place and there was no room in the inn, and so in a manger he was born. And there, all of a sudden, with that birth comes the wonderful announcement of these angels to these shepherds. Well, these angels spoke to the shepherds, and the shepherds, in a sense, became the first responders to this truth. I mean, those who arrive at the scene first are first responders. 
police, EMT, fire rescue, maybe even a bystander at some point along the way sees an accident, is the first responder, the one there on the scene first. Well, these become the first responders to the birth of Jesus Christ. There are first responders. The angels, the angel tells them about the birth of the Messiah. And in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, we're told, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. In Micah 5, 2, we read, But thou... Bethlehem, Euphrata, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. These shepherds, they had heard of this Savior that would ultimately come, the Savior that would ultimately deliver them and their people out of the iron clutches of the Roman regime and ultimately provide them once again with power and authority and respect as a nation. They had heard these stories. They had been told them from the time they were just little children bouncing on daddy or mama's knee. And now the angel comes and says, Behold, the Savior's been born. And they become the first responders. I want to talk a little bit about these first responders. And I want to note just three simple attributes or things about them. And so with that said, let's have a word of prayer and we'll continue. We'll try to get out in a timely fashion. I want you to be all rested up for that slideshow tonight. <laughs> Don't want you to miss a thing. Not really, but nonetheless, we certainly want to get things moving along today. I'm so glad you're here. And I'll be honest with you, I'm so glad to be back. I like to go away. But there's no place like home, is there? And Community Baptist Temple is home to me. And you're my family. And I'm certainly glad to be back home to my family. Let's pray. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for the wonderful, wonderful blessing of being a child of God. Of having had the opportunity to put our personal faith and trust in Jesus and being included in the family of God, being included in the role in heaven. We thank you so much for the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life and for the opportunity that we have to come to you boldly in prayer. Lord, today we come to you asking that you would meet with us. We'll have wasted our time if we meet with a mere man. We need to meet with you, the Master. Oh God, you've already blessed our music. You've blessed the choir. You've, Father, been certainly here in our midst as the congregation lifted their voice in song to you. But Lord, now we need you in this message. May you speak to our hearts and if there be even one that is without Christ that has never personally put their personal faith and trust in you, may they settle that today. Guide us even now, Lord. Eternity is as real as the present. Help us, Lord, to see that, recognize it, and understand it. May we respond accordingly. Thank you for these responders, these first responders. Lord, may we be quick to respond as well. Well, thank you. In Christ's name, amen. The first responders. What can we learn about them, or what were they? Who were they? I mean, what about them maybe made them conducive to be first responders? Well, first of all, the first responders were humble. They were humble. In Luke chapter 2, verse 8, in our passage, it says, And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. 
See, it was customary that the youngest boy in the family became the shepherd of the sheep. That was a custom. And as the older son would grow, his direction would be changed. He would ultimately leave the sheep and would go help his father in the sowing and planting and reaping of the harvest. As he did that, as he made his move into helping dad with sowing and reaping and harvesting, it would leave a vacancy, a job opening. And that job opening was that of the shepherd. And so the next youngest son would move into the role of shepherd and would take their place with the sheep. This process would continue right on down the line until ultimately even the youngest son would find himself there in the field watching the sheep. That appears to be the custom that was exercised in the Old Testament in dealing with David and Jesse, his father. I mean, the Bible tells us that Saul the king had been rejected by God, of course, because of some sin in his life. As a result, he sends Samuel the prophet to the house of Jesse in order to anoint the next king of Israel. Although Jesse, excuse me, although Samuel had, had interviewed all of Jesse's sons, or at least what appeared to be all of Jesse's sons, God said, listen, the anointed one is not in our presence. He looks over to Jesse and says, hey, uh, is this all of your children? He says, well, not really. Samuel said unto Jesse, are all, here all thy children? He said, there remaineth yet the youngest, and behold, he keepeth the sheep. Again, see, the, the, it had been passed on. The elder had begun to help dad with some of the other more difficult tasks, the more uh, physical tasks. The youngest is sent out in to keep the sheep. And in this case, David was exactly, the, he was exactly in that position. The youngest of all the children taking care of the sheep. So it appears that this was a custom. It appears that this is what transpired and took place most of the time in Israel. It was often a young man. It was often a young person in that position. Now, the passage doesn't tell us how many shepherds there were that day in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. However, it is very likely that many of them could have been young, or at least the youngest of their household. It would have seemed to me then that the angel approached them understanding that the position that they held was an entry-level position. Characteristically, it was a position that would demand humility then. I wonder if it couldn't be possible that God approached the shepherds because they were young. And being young, they were not so hardened by the world yet. In Mark chapter 10, verse 13 through 15, take your Bible, turn there, would you? We see God's attitude toward youngsters, toward children especially. These first responders were humble, I believe. Their very position facilitates that philosophy or thought. Mark chapter 10, verse 13, the Bible says, And they brought young children to him, that he should touch them. And his disciples rebuked those that brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he was much displeased and said unto them, Suffer the little children to come unto me, and forbid them not. For of such is the kingdom of God. 
Verily I say unto you, Whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. In this particular case, the Lord Jesus Christ condemns the disciples for not permitting children to be brought to him uh, you know, uh, without question. Just bring them. Yes, by all means. He loved children. I'm going to be honest with you. And, I, and again, it's a, someone says this is your opinion, but if Christ lives in me, it would seem to me if he loved children so much, I should love children. It would just seem that way to me. I mean, if what is in me love children, then what is in me should love children. Someone says, I don't like kids. Well, here's what I don't like. Bad parents that raise bad kids. Well, let me tell you something. No child is really responsible for their, their poor attitude. I'm talking about a, ba- a child now. I'm talking about little. I'm not talking about a teenager that's been raised and should know better. I'm talking about children. Boy, how can you not love kids? How can you not love children? Jesus loves children. And I do believe that the first responders, more than likely, as a whole, were younger than they were older. And God sent his angel to them to announce this announcement. They become the first responders, one, because I believe they had a humble spirit. It was an entry-level job, but also because they themselves were probably fairly young and had been uncorrupted by the world and unhardened by its circumstances. God hates pride, and he hates arrogance. In Proverbs chapter 8, verse 13, the Bible says, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Then there is a colon there. In English, that colon says, okay, this is a statement that you just read. The next statement is attached to it, but is a different thought. It's, it's like two separate thoughts attached together, made one. It's not really necessarily related to, but it's two separate thoughts in a sense that are related, but they're not as tight. Now, I get my English mixed up every once in a while. That semicolon and colon thing are tough. Some of you guys that are teachers are going, "Ah, you just need to learn, preacher. You're right, I do, better. But notice what it says here. He goes on to say, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Then there's a colon. Now this next thought will be related to it, but it's a separate thought. Now listen, to here it is. Pride and arrogancy and the evil way and the froward mouth do I hate. That's what God says. So he's saying, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. He goes on to say, but listen, pride and arrogancy, I hate them. I hate them. I hate them. God hates our pride. God hates arrogancy. Why does God hate it so much? Because it keeps a person depending upon self instead of him. And let me tell you, that's a recipe for disaster. When we are depending on self more than we depend on God, when we allow or believe for a moment that we have the answers, that we control our destiny, that we have the power to change things, that we can control things, when we believe that it's about us, we really are misguided and mistaken. God says, I hate that pride of yours, somehow believing that you're able. See, the chorus we sing around here says, He's able, He's able, I know He's able. Me able, me able, 
I know me able. That's not the song, is it? He's able. But we live our lives sometimes like me able. I can do it. I don't need God. We don't say I don't need God, but we live like we don't need God. And God says, I hate pride. I hate arrogancy. Why? Because it keeps people from me. I'm their creator. I love them more than anybody could ever love them. And yet themselves, their own pride, their own arrogancy will keep them from me. That's why I hate pride. That's why I hate arrogancy so much, God says. You watch a parent whose child is going off into drug addiction. Or maybe they're drunkards. You talk to somebody that hates alcohol. You talk to that parent. Somebody that hates drugs, you talk to that parent whose child is involved in that kind of lifestyle. You'll see somebody that hates it. You want to know why? Because that keeps them from them. It's separate. It stands between mom and dad and their child. And they hate it. Okay, you may say as a Christian, I hate liquor. I hate drugs. But let you go ahead. Go ahead and have a child of yours that goes off into that lifestyle and allows it to be their God. Let me tell you something. You'll, you'll, you'll learn a new hate for it. Amen. And you know what? God says, I hate pride and I hate arrogancy more than you can imagine because it keeps those that I love so much away from me. The Bible goes on to say, Pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. The truth is that the, truth is that the older we get, if we're honest, the more self-reliant we become if we're not properly grounded and rooted in the Word of God and in our relationship with Christ. The older we get, we, we just somehow, we've had so much experience. We've lived so much of life. We know the turn coming. We kind of feel we have a grasp on things. We become self-sufficient. We become kind of, we know what's going to happen. We, we've been there. We can handle it. And if we're not properly rooted in the Word of God and in grounded in Christ Jesus, we will become arrogant and prideful. And that will do only injustice to God who created us, and it will certainly bring injury to you and I. So the Bible says, There is a way that seemeth right unto the, a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. These first responders, I believe, with all my heart, were humble. They were humble. The first responders not only were humble, but they were, and I'm going to use the word, hasty. But the word hasty kind of has a connotation, uh, denotation of being somewhat, you know, reckless. I wanted to say they responded in haste, but it wouldn't fit my outline as nicely. So they were hasty. And when I say hasty, they were hasty to respond. They, were, they responded in haste. Okay? Luke chapter 2 verse 16 says, And they came with Haste, and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in the manger. The angel had come and he'd shared with them about the birth of the Messiah. You'll find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. Those first responders, they got at it, man. They responded with a sense of urgency. I mean, they had sheep to care for, remember? They, they, they were shepherds. 
Therefore, they had responsibilities. I don't know, although many of them were probably very young, there may have been some, because they didn't have a number of children behind them, that were caring for the sheep, that maybe even had a family, possibly a wife or children even, potentially. But when this word came of the Savior, when the word came of a child in a manger, this new, this wonderful truth of Messiah being born, They didn't neglect their responsibilities, mind you. But they didn't allow their responsibility to keep them from the Savior either. Isn't that something? Isn't it funny how when we get in a place in our life, we'll say, well, I have responsibilities. I have to take care of some things. I mean, I'm just going to have to do something uh, to work it out, and I guess I'm going to have to get rid of something in my life. So what do we get rid of? Hey, fellas, don't you have responsibilities? Aren't there some sheep? Aren't there some families back home concerned about those sheep? I mean, okay, if you leave the sheep, what's going to happen to the sheep? Well, there were ways that they could corral those sheep. There were ways that they could keep them in and confined while they were in their, in their absence. And so they took those measures and they took those steps. Why? Because they knew they had to also see the Savior. They were seriously a sense of urgency. They wanted to be there where the Lord was, but they also had some responsibilities. So they took steps to ensure that they would not neglect their responsibilities, but they would not neglect the Savior either. He says, you can't have both and you can't do both. That's because you don't know then that God will never ask you to do anything that he won't provide you with the ability to do. Hey, don't, don't tell me you've got to get rid of something that God wants in your life in order to have something to provide for your family. I can't serve the Lord and meet the needs of my family. That is a lie out of hell. That's the devil talking. That is not God and His Word speaking. These first responders were hasty in the sense that they had a sense of urgency. They responded with a sense of urgency. But also they responded with a sense of unwavering. I mean... These responders didn't waste any time getting to Bethlehem. They didn't waste any time getting to the light of the world here. If you've ever flown in an airplane like I just did, I was in four different airplanes on this trip. Took a flight to Atlanta, then from Atlanta we took it down to Cozumel. Cozumel to Atlanta, Atlanta to Akron Camp. Four different flights. You know that in each and every single one of those flights, the flight attendant stood in front of us and took time to share certain safety features of the plane, certain exit information in the event that there was an emergency on the plane. Now, I never understood that because if there's an emergency 30,000 feet up, let me tell you something, you're probably not going to need any emergency plan when you hit the ground. But nonetheless, you never know, so I guess you're better safe than sorry. But one of the things that I saw demonstrated on every single flight was the use of the oxygen mask in the event that the, the plane lost cabin pressure. You know, you get up 30,000 feet, the pressure, air pressure is different than it is when you're on the ground. So in this case, if you lose cabin pressure, they want to make sure that you can still breathe because the air's so, so light up there in a sense, or so little oxygen in comparison to down here. So, you know, you, you put the mask, they tell you to put the mask on, stretch it out, you know, put it back in, stick it up and all that good stuff. And, uh, you know, you, you, they did that. Every single flight, every single one they did that. And here's the interesting part of this. And this is why I brought it up. In each case, 
they stressed along the way that you must first don your mask before helping those beside you or around you. You first put your mask on to ensure your safety and ability to maintain consciousness before you try to help someone else who's struggling or in a bad spot. Because what happens if you try to help them and they're flailing around or something and then you never get yours on, they don't get theirs on, you both are out of luck. You both perish, so to speak. See, these first responders made a beeline to the Savior. A beeline. They didn't go home first. They didn't try to enlist their wives and their children. This is what I'm telling you now. They went... They did not pass go. They went directly to the Savior. They first went, and then they followed up with others. They responded with a sense of urgency and unwavering. And you know, one of the things that happens is in a service like this, maybe, you hear the Word of God and you hear about a Savior that died on Calvary, was buried and rose again, that He loves you and He sacrificed His all, He shed His precious blood, and that if you will trust Him completely, without reservation, wholly and entirely committing your life, your eternity into the hands of the Lord Jesus Christ, you can be saved and your sin can be forgiven and your life can be transformed. And if you're not careful, you'll respond like this. Well, I need to talk to my wife about this first. That's a, that's a great message, but I want to see what she thinks about it. I want to see what, I wonder what, how my kids would respond to this message. I wonder how people would re- respond to me if I told them I responded to it. No, these first responders were men, they were men that were hasty in a sense. They said, no, we've heard the truth, we're going to respond to the truth. We're not going to wait or share or do anything other than make a beeline to the Savior right now. This morning you have been given a message of hope. How will you respond to Christ's invitation? His invitation of come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. How will you respond to Christ's invitation as he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and sup with him. And he with me. The first responders were humble. They were also hasty. But finally, number three, the first responders were happy. They were happy. Verse 20 of our passage, chapter 2, verse 20, says, And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, as it was told unto them. What a wonderful, wonderful truth it is that when we humble ourselves before a holy God, when we in haste enter into His presence, it is a wonderful truth to know that we never depart without being happy. These first responders, these shepherds had come face to face with the Master. And when you and I respond to the message of salvation, we too will be a happy people. See, there's nothing in the world like knowing that your sin is forgiven, that God is your Father, and that heaven is your home. Before his conversion to Christ, and Billy Bray was a drunkard 
His life, his family suffered as a result. It wouldn't, wasn't uncommon for his wife to go to the bar and drag him out and take him home. He was wicked and he was sinful and he had no regard for others. His only real passion was alcohol and self. Following his conversion, however, Billy Bray would go on to become one of the most prolific servants of God in our, our, our history. He was especially known for his joy and his rejoicing. He said, I can't help but praising God, he once said. As I go along the street, I lift up one foot and it seems to say, glory. And I lift up the other and it seems to say, amen. And so they keep on like that all the time I'm walking. Glory. Amen. Glory. Amen. (laughs) Even when his wife died... Billy Bray jumped about the room with joy, exclaiming and saying, Bless the Lord, my dear Joey's gone up with the bright ones. My dear Joey's gone up with the shining angels. Glory, glory, glory. See, he believed that the afflictions that come to us in life were a special mark of God's favor, that Christians ought to rejoice in them. There were some that objected to his shouting, his overflowing of joy. And Billy once said in reference to them, if they were to put me in a barrel, I'd shout glory out of the bunghole. Praise the Lord. Someone asked him one time when he was praising the Lord if he didn't think that people sometimes got in such a habit of praising the Lord that they didn't even know what they were saying. He very calmly and coolly replied that he didn't think that the Lord was much troubled with that class of person. At a meeting at Hicks Mill in 1866, a Mr. Oliver told how triumphantly a dying woman expired, shouting victory. Glory, shouted Billy. If a dying woman praised the Lord, I should think that living men might. (laughs) When Billy heard the news of a certain preacher's death, he said, So he's done with the doubters and has gone up with the shouters. (laughs) This is Billy Bray. There's no one in this world more suited for praise and shouting than the believer, than the Christian, the child of God. What hope, what expectation, what sheer joy we experience in the Christian life. The shepherds were happy, having heard and experienced the very presence of Christ. No one that humbles themselves before the Lord, no one that approaches in haste will ever leave any other way than happy. The first responders were humble. They were hasty. They were happy. I wonder what kind of responder you'll be to the wonderful news that Jesus Christ has come, been crucified and risen again. What kind of responder will you be to the fact that your sin will damn you to hell, but that Jesus Christ is willing to save? What kind of responder will you be to the reality that the Lord's arms are open to you this moment and His acceptance is guaranteed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ and the marvelous grace of our God? Paul, prior to his death, he shares a testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ. He shares a testimony of Christ and to a king 
by the name of Agrippa. What was his response? How did Agrippa respond to this news that a Savior has been born, died and was buried and rose again the third day to save us from our sin? What was Agrippa's response? The Bible tells us, Then Agrippa said unto Paul in Acts 26, 28, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Almost. I was that close. If Agrippa did not put his personal faith and trust in Jesus Christ to save him from his sin, and when I say that, what I mean is, if at some point he did not literally say, Lord, I know that in myself there is no good thing dwelleth, I know there's no way that I could ever do enough to earn your favor. I realize that heaven is never going to be my abode or my home until I personally allow you, trust you to forgive me, save me, and take me there. Only you and what you did on Calvary, Lord, is good enough to wash my sin away and to enable me to be in your presence one day. If this king with all his riches and all his power and all his authority, did not put his personal faith and trust in Jesus Christ, he is burning in hell today. I don't care how close he came to trusting. It doesn't matter how close he came to believing. It doesn't matter how many family members, friends, or Christians. All that mattered was his personal faith and acceptance of the Lord Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. We never hear again concerning Agrippa's faith. And I believe it's because we are to assume he went off into eternity almost saved. On the other hand, others responded quite differently. Remember when Jesus lands in the area of the Gadarenes. There's a wild man. The Bible calls him a maniac. Before it's all said and done, after meeting the Lord Jesus Christ, we find him seated in his right mind, clothed there at the feet of Jesus, a new man, transformed and changed by the miraculous touch of Jesus Christ. He wants to travel with the Lord Jesus. He wants to become a companion of the disciples and move along with the Lord. But Jesus instead says, no, no, there needs to be a witness in your community. There needs to be a witness in your town. You go back to your home and you begin to tell them what I have done on your behalf. He did just that. And in Luke chapter 8, verse 38 through 40, the Bible says, Now the man uh, out of whom the devils were departed besought him, that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away saying, Return to thine own house and shew how great things God hath done unto thee. And he went his way and published throughout the whole city how great things Jesus had done unto him. And it came to pass that when Jesus was returned. Now remember, how was the reception when he first came? He was received by a maniac. How did the people respond to Jesus after seeing the maniac? In fear. Get out of our country. Leave us now. But this man went back to his home and began to share what great things the Lord Jesus had done. Began to tell them how he died on a cross, how he would give his life ultimately, how he'd suffer and bleed. He understood how good Jesus was. 
when he began to share about this Messiah. And the Bible says, and it came to pass, verse 40, that when Jesus was returned, the people gladly received him. For they were all waiting for him. This man's testimony changed the whole city. They're waiting on him now. Jesus is here. Jesus is here. Here he is. He's come back. What a different response. What a different response than Agrippa. Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. These, however, gladly received him. What kind of responder will you be today? You know and have heard that Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world, was born 2,000 years ago. He grew up sinless, died sinless, suffered sinlessly, but also suffered horribly on our behalf. A perfect Savior dying a sinner's death to pay for our sin, your sin, mine. After receiving that message, how will you respond today? Will you, like King Agrippa, say, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Or will you, like these of the Gadarenes, say, I receive him gladly. I humble my heart before God who is holy. I come with haste into his presence. For I wish to leave happy as one of his own. The decision is yours. What kind of responder will you be? Will you be like these first responders? I hope so. I know God desires that you do. He says in 2 Peter 3, 9, that he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. May God help us to respond like these. And maybe today you've wandered far away from God. Maybe you've taken a turn in your life at some point. Oh, you've received and accepted Christ. You remember the feeling that there was that day that you heard the good news of Jesus Christ, the Savior. You put your faith and trust in Him. Your sin rolled off of your back. Your, your, your guilt was gone. You were clean and on your way to heaven in the family of God. But now you made a decision at some point and you strayed away from His leading. When the shepherd noted a sheep missing, he always went in search of it. Sheep become bewildered and they cannot find their way. Today, in this service, the Holy Spirit of God has spoken to your heart and said, Come home. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. You needn't wander aimlessly in this world any longer. You needn't worry that I'm going to hurt or harm you. I simply want to receive you and love you. Before God has to reach out and drag you home, like Billy Bray's wife had to drag him home, why don't you come hastily into his presence today? Confess your sin and fault, and once again, allow him to direct your steps. First responders.
humble, hasty, and happy. Let's be like them today. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for your love and grace. Lord, in our presence today, there may be those who have yet to personally trust you, receive you into their life as Savior and Lord. Oh, they may have grown up around believers or Christians, their mom, 